Welcome to another podcast from Best Self Magazine, the leading voice for self-empowerment, holistic health, and authentic living. Hi, this is Peter Occhio Grosso, and I'll be reading my article, Inside Out, Exploring the Out-of-Body Experience, an interview with William Bullman. But first, I'd like to say a few words about why I was drawn to write about William Bullman and why I believe his work is so significant. To my mind, the most important question facing philosophy, spirituality, and physics today is whether consciousness can exist separately from the brain and so from the body. If that's true, and a rapidly mushrooming body of evidence, both scientific and anecdotal, suggests that it is, then simple logic would compel us to acknowledge the existence of an afterlife of some kind. It doesn't have to consist of the heaven and hell of Western monotheism or the virtually endless cycle of rebirths taught by most Eastern religions. But if our consciousness, like energy, cannot be destroyed but only transformed, then it must go somewhere. And if that's the case, it behooves us to understand the nature of our non-physical being, how it functions, and whether we can learn what it's like to navigate the non-material dimensions firsthand before our physical death sets us loose in the astral wilderness with no GPS. Inside Out, Exploring the Out-of-Body Experience, an interview with William Bullman. William Bullman is a man on a mission. I had this wild belief back in the 90s that if everybody could have an out-of-body experience, the whole planet would change, he says by phone from Faber, Virginia, where he has just completed an intensive workshop on out-of-body experience. It would shift the consciousness of the planet, the whole hundredth monkey thing. But as Bullman taught and wrote about the phenomenon of -of out-of-body experiences, or OBEs, he met with resistance. Then I realized that that's not going to happen, he says. People are too entrenched in their beliefs. So you do what you can do, get the information out and try to make it understandable, because some of this information is so beyond people that you have to spoon-feed it. I can't walk up to people and say, you're not human, you're a multidimensional being. They think you're a nut job. When William Bullman was a sophomore at the University of Maryland, a childhood buddy told him about having a spontaneous out-of-body experience during which he woke from sleep and suddenly found himself floating above his bed, looking down at his dormant body. Excited by his friend's account, Moomin decided that if his friend could do it, he could do it. It was the early 1970s, and there were few books on the subject. However, he did find one book that suggested using targets onto which to direct your attention as a way of urging the mind to separate from your physical body. The book also suggested that you had to try this for at least 30 days to have any chance of actually separating your consciousness or what some might call the mind, but as distinct from the brain, from your physical body. I chose some things I had made for my mother, he says now. A metal ashtray, a wooden doorstop, a watercolor of the ocean, really silly stuff, child art. I was dedicated, doing this every night, and as you do it, you get better at visualizing. I would imagine myself walking around my mother's home, touching these objects, 
in retrospect, this is important because you end up focusing your consciousness away from your body, just as your body is drifting into the altered state we call sleep. Nothing dramatic happened for the first three weeks, and Bullman was about to give up. But on the 25th day, he had a strange dream that he was sitting at a round table with several people. They all seemed to be asking me questions related to my self-development and state of consciousness, he says. At that moment in the dream, I began to feel extremely dizzy, and a strange numbness, like from Novocaine, began to spread throughout my body. Unable to keep my head up in the dream, I passed out, hitting my head on the table. Instantly, I was awake, fully conscious, lying on my side in a small single bed facing the wall. I reached out my arm, and my arm actually entered the wall. I could feel the vibrational energy of it, as if I were touching its very molecular structure. That's when it hit me. I tried to stay calm, but the next thing I know, I'm standing at the foot of the bed, obviously out of my body. I thought, oh my God, I did it. I started looking around, and I was aware that I could see beyond the walls of the room. What Bullman saw next was even more astonishing than the sight of his own slumbering body, the figure of a man with dark hair and a beard in a purple robe who seemed to be observing him. His presence scared me, and I instantly snapped back into my physical body, he says. That strange feeling of numbness and tingling faded as I opened my eyes. It was brief but life-changing because it changed my entire outlook on reality. In the 45 or so years since that first experience, Bullman developed what some might view as an anomaly into a highly nuanced skill. He discovered that he didn't even have to wait for nighttime. Coming home from classes around midday, he would lie down, start his target techniques, and get results. I was having a lot of out-of-body experiences, as many as four times a week, and they were just mind-blowing. I was walking through walls, and I went through this whole long sequence of discovering it's a vast, multidimensional universe, and we have the ability to explore it firsthand. Searching for more advanced books on the subject, Bullman came across the work of Paul Twitchell, a freelance journalist and seeker from Kentucky, who, in 1965, had founded an anomalous American spiritual sect he called Ekinkar. Here, Bullman's story intersects with my own. Around 1985, a jazz drummer I met by chance introduced me to Ekinkar, and I became involved in what Twitchell's numerous books called The Science of Soul Travel. The goal of the practice was to learn to monitor and ultimately become consciously awake in your dreams. Beyond that, things got a bit hazy. Ekinkar was the very definition of a syncretic religion, combining aspects of Sufi and Christian love teachings with beliefs and terminology based on a Sikh tradition known as Sant Mat and its practice of Surat Shabda Yoga. I never achieved the highest goal of Ekinkar, to be instructed while in the dream state by the living Ek master, originally Twitchell himself, and by my time, an unassuming gent named Harold Klemp. But I did learn to keep a detailed dream journal and later recognized that I'd had a number of spectacular lucid dreams, learning what they were called only after reading groundbreaking books on the subject by Stephen Leberge and Patricia Garfield and Ekinkar earlier than I did 
and even led his own satsang, or spiritual group, enjoying the camaraderie because they were the only people he knew with whom he could talk about out-of-body experiences, or astral projection, as it's sometimes called, without being thought of as a freak. I confessed to Bullman that not only had I never succeeded in meeting the living Eckmaster in my dreams, neither had he, but also that the first time I had an out-of-body experience was when I smoked DMT, dimethyltryptamine, at the age of 18. In the summer of 1965, I'd never smoked anything stronger than a gold was, and the parsley flakes on which the psychoactive chemical was sprayed looked innocent enough. One minute I was sitting in my car with my friend Randy, puffing on a cheap corncob pipe stuffed with parsley, and in the next instant I was outside the car, looking in through the windshield at Randy and me. Some 25 years later, while researching a book on spiritual experience, I had several more brief OBEs when I shared ayahuasca, a psychoactive sacrament, with a Brazilian sect called Santo Dime. Curiously, DMT is believed to be an active ingredient in ayahuasca. As a result, I know that OBEs are real, even though I haven't been able to replicate one of my own since then. It's not easy, just so you know, Bowman says in response to my confession. I must have had 50 to 80 OBEs before I could understand the nature of what was going on. It took me two years at least before I started to break out of our mold. When I started to prolong my OBEs, I discovered that you can live an entire life in five or six minutes. After a time, I would be out of my body for half an hour. But it's like meditation. How long you meditate means nothing. Then you start to internally change your self-concept. Suddenly you know things. The thing that you know is that there's only one path, the inward path. That's a path that Bullman has worn ragged since his first conscious OBE nearly half a century ago, including entry into dimensions of which he was previously unaware. In 2011, Bullman was diagnosed with inoperable stage 4 cancer of the tonsil that spread to his lymph nodes. In his book Adventures in the Afterlife, he writes of his seven-month ordeal with cancer. Quote, the burning question of what occurs after this life inspired my exploration of the afterlife. My lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences provided mind-bending visions that stunned me to the core. Bullman encountered his deceased mother, who looked much younger and more vibrant than when she had died. She led him through a vision of the afterlife that he wrote about in that book in somewhat fictionalized form. Quote, at its core, an OBE is a transition of consciousness inward, from your physical body to some level of your non-physical self. Then some people experience it as an exteriorization, in which they experience their environment from another locale. But it's all an inner journey. There's a vibrational change at each level. Density and vibration go hand in hand and allow us to move inward so that we can begin to experience these other dimensional realities. Heaven is here. Everything is here now. That was the beauty of the ancient yogis. They began to teach people how to go inward. But people feel the need to attach themselves to an established philosophy. And we forget that consciousness pre-existed all the religions on this planet. Religions come and go. The worship of Athena was a huge religion for a thousand years. 
Realizing that his consciousness had separated from his physical body was in itself enormously exciting at first. But as time went on and he experimented further, Bowman started to go deeper and deeper. It takes a while to get in deeper and develop the skills, he says now. During one of my most important explorations, I began to realize that I was losing all humanoid form. I looked down and began to see that my arms and legs were dissolving. I realized that I wasn't even a human. Our entire civilization is based on the fact that we're all biological human beings. It became clear to me that that's false. I started to question whether everything I learned from childhood is a lie. And then you have to integrate that and learn how to fit in and play the game of being human. I think that's what Buddha went through, too. As discomforting as Bullman's statement sounds, it recalled to me something the renowned Buddhist scholar Alan Wallace once said about engaging in prolonged deep meditation, that after weeks of meditating for as much as 10 to 14 hours a day, he came to a state of mind that he said was not human. But what do they mean by this? Isn't the point of meditation and spiritual practice of all kinds, including conscious OBEs, to realize our humanity at the deepest or highest level? To my mind, it's actually reassuring, rather than disturbing, to know that at our core we possess an identity that doesn't rely on the flimsy vehicle of a human body and our even flimsier brain. Startling but compelling evidence has been compiled over the past half century, especially by Dr. Ian Stevenson and his colleagues at the University of Virginia's Division of Perceptual Studies, that rebirth is real and that we have lived prior lifetimes, even if most of us don't consciously remember. Stevenson meticulously documented the cases of some 3,000 young children from around the world who could recall details from a previous life that they could not possibly have known otherwise. According to most channeled accounts of the afterlife, spirit beings can take on any form they choose and often appear as human to put the rest of us at ease. Bullman calls this state of being thought-responsive because non-physical beings, including humans when out of body, simply have to visualize a place to go there, or visualize a physical environment to manifest it, including how they appear to others. Raised a Lutheran, Bullman doesn't put any faith in traditional religions, and yet he believes that the great spiritual masters and founders of the world's religions had out-of-body experiences that showed them the multidimensional nature of the universe. He names St. Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, Muhammad's night flight through seven heavens or dimensions, and the Buddha's enlightenment under the Bodhi tree as just three examples. All religions talk about some experience of the founder that lit them up and they became teachers, he says. It all begins with a person's profound inward journey of consciousness to places that were beyond the body. Unfortunately, he adds, in many cases, the followers of enlightened people like Buddha and Jesus were not enlightened. They were trying to make sense of what the leader communicated, and then it ends up being distorted, generation after generation, until you wind up with something like Catholicism, which is completely fear-based. That's not what the original teaching was. The original teaching was, love thy neighbor and do unto others. 
An equal opportunity skeptic, Bullman is also dissatisfied with the theosophical concept promoted by Madame Blavatsky and others of seven-dimensional space, which he finds to be totally inaccurate, having experienced many more dimensions than that himself. Yet, for all his distrust of in institutional belief systems, Bullman does find a lot to like about some of the practices of Tibetan Buddhism, particularly the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the extraordinary guide to making the transition from death to the afterlife and back through rebirth, also known by its Tibetan title of Bardo Turdol Chenmo, or The Great Liberation Through Hearing in the Between, the text was designed to help guide spirits of the departed through their transition from this dimension to the next. The text sounds somewhat obscure today, and although Bullman finds its basic premise absolutely essential, he also thinks the Tibetan tradition of chanting the lengthy text for 49 days after death is unrealistic. When you die, there's no time, he says with a trace of exasperation. That's a belief system, and unfortunately becomes ingrained in people's minds. It's the same thing in every religion now, and that's why I'm not a member of any of them. I appreciate some of the things in Buddhism in general. I love the Eightfold Path, but you have to be discerning. The eternally compelling question of what happens at and after death has become more important for Bullman than simply the ability to explore other dimensions of consciousness. He accepts the fact that consciousness can exist separately from the brain, still a point of argument for most materialist scientists and atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. Because our consciousness will continue after the body dies, we need to know how to navigate non-physical consciousness without the equivalent of a GPS. If you can't learn to initiate a conscious OBE, Bullman recommends meditation, lucid dreaming, shamanic journeys, even entheogenic sacraments like ayahuasca. Given the aging population of baby boomers, this would appear to be a valuable line of research. In his earlier book, The Secret of the Soul, Using Out-of-Body Experiences to Understand Our True Nature, and his most recent one, Higher Self Now, Accelerating Your Spiritual Evolution, Bullman offers sage advice based on non-sectarian spiritual principles. Remember, the ultimate journey of soul is not death, but the self-realization of our spiritual essence. Eventually, we will make the important transition from religious believer to spiritual explorer. Drawing on the wisdom of the Bardo Turdall, Bullman recommends that we create our own text to be recorded and played back when the time arrives for our ultimate out-of-body experience. It's not a bad idea. You can purchase CDs of the Bardo Turdall in English, but even though I find it a powerful text, I'm not confident that it would be the most effective guide for most Westerners. And from everything I've read and researched about the progress of the soul or consciousness at death, Bullman is probably right that it occurs much quicker than the traditional 49-day period of the Tibetan tradition. Indeed, at least two experienced lamas I spoke with agreed that the number was almost certainly a convention designed to limit the period of mourning. 
Ullman's detailed guidance for dealing with death parallels the death-positive movement that is seeking to help us get past our denial about the dying process, promoting awareness, quote, that the culture of silence around death should be broken through discussion, gatherings, art, innovation, and scholarship, according to their website. But Bullman goes further, focusing on preparing for the transition to the non-physical state that we will all have to make, as long as we remain open to accepting full responsibility for every thought and act of our earthly life and to forgiving ourselves as well as others, the news is basically good. Evidence received from near-death and out-of-body experiences suggests a radically different final judgment scenario than is widely accepted today, he says. At death, we are not judged by God or angels on a heavenly throne. Instead, we must face the most demanding judge imaginable, our own spiritual self. The pure spiritual essence of our consciousness appraises our development. Our every thought, word, and deed are known. Our life is an open book where every secret, every desire is clear and present. The utter forgiveness is often the practice of self-forgiveness. Don't underestimate the liberating spiritual power of its use. Pullman teaches worldwide and at the Monroe Institute in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, founded by Robert A. Monroe, who popularized the terms out-of-body experience and OBE. Monroe was a psycho-spiritual explorer of the first rank who documented his own extraordinary experiences in three books written between 1971 and 1994. His accounts included prolonged communications in the astral plane with non-physical beings who helped him overcome his initial fears and to develop his skills as a psychonaut. Having worked in the radio business, he developed high-tech gear that allowed students in separate units furnished with a bed, headphones, and speakers to listen to music combined with binaural beats while he led them into out-of-body experiences. This sonic system, which he called hemisync, short for hemispheric synchronization, uses tones measured in cycles per second, or hertz, named for the German scientist Heinrich Hertz, the first person to provide conclusive proof of the existence of electromagnetic waves. By sending 100 hertz in one ear and 104 hertz in another, the mind perceives only the difference between the waves. 4 hertz, the frequency at which the brain resonates during deep sleep, also known as the delta state. And training to this frequency tends to make the mind more receptive to states of deep concentration and, hopefully, to precipitate an OBE. Bullman uses similar settings with a combination of verbal induction, music, binaural beats, and the students' intentions to expand their conscious frame of reference. When we enter altered states, yoga, OBEs, meditation, we are entering a highly thought-responsive environment within ourselves, he says. As we move forward, non-physical reality becomes increasingly more thought-responsive. We are not observers of reality. We are active participants in the reality that we experience, whether it be kundalini yoga, DMT, Ayahuasca, it doesn't matter what inspired the experience. I've done shamanic journeys in Peru. 
I've done ayahuasca. To be a teacher, you have to experience things yourself. In his first book, Adventures Beyond the Body, Bullman writes, quote, The journey of inner exploration is not an airy-fairy Tinkerbell experience. People sometimes have scary experiences. It's all about confronting your own fear. He cites Robert Monroe, who, besides being an early investigator of OBEs, was a licensed pilot. In Monroe's books, he describes OBEs during which he tried to land a plane on a rooftop. That's physically impossible and, of course, terrifying, Bullman says. That was his way of confronting his own fears. In history, the inner explorers of consciousness went through their own trials, experiencing the manifestations of their fears. People used to call this initiation because you're carrying your whole state of consciousness with you. Bullman underwent his own initiation of sorts during one of his early OBEs when he was paralyzed with fear by the appearance of a giant sloth standing nine feet high with a bear's head and the face of a dog. All I can think is, this thing can snap my neck in a heartbeat, he writes. Suddenly the creature gives me a warm hug and licks my face like a dog. All my fear dissipates as I realize that this ugly creature is powerless to harm me. An intense feeling of empowerment and joy explodes through me. I feel completely free from my fear and limits. Perhaps as a result of feeling liberated by such experiences, Bullman strongly advocates that we all find a method to have our own experience. A real scientific approach would be to do the research and find a way to prove to yourself that you continue beyond the body, he says. Become your own guinea pig. Don't believe what I say. It's going to take some effort. Find a method of inner exploration of consciousness that works for you, whether it be Raja Yoga or ritualized magic. It takes determination, work, focus, and a goal. But this is way more important than having a bunch of letters behind your name. We're only taking one thing with us when we leave this body, and that's our state of consciousness and the knowledge we've gained from our experience in the physical world. A lot of PhDs attend my workshops because they've gotten to the point where they want to be able to prove to themselves that what they've heard or read about is true. That's a far more scientific approach than saying it doesn't exist because it isn't possible. A lot of people are stuck in their head, he continues. You've got to get out of your head. Men have trouble with this. They've been trained to be immensely in their heads because that's what's needed to succeed and make a living in the Western world. We're trained to be providers. I'm the same way. Women are far more open, far more adept. I see this in my classes all the time. I have to say, give up the analyzing. As long as you're in your head, you're not going anywhere. William Bullman's six-day intensives in out-of-body experience at the Moreau Institute are booked solid through April 2019, and the next openings are in September, more than a year from now. But he is offering an online class called Our Incredible Journey, Life, Death, and Beyond from November 10th to December 2nd, 2018. It offers to show students how to practice techniques to control and direct your state of consciousness during altered states, various non-physical realities and how they function, and how to effectively navigate 
thought-responsive environments. For more information, you can visit glidewing.com. And Bullman notes that uh, even though it's already past November 10th, anyone who signs up and registers now will have access to the archived uh, teachings before that date. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Learn more at bestselfmedia.com.